This is episode 20 of the Now Is podcast. My name is Ben Remsen, and the idea of this podcast is normally to play tunes for musicians without telling them what they're about to hear and see what they have to say. But what follows is more of a meta episode. It's the conversation that I had with Lou Berkman on May 9th, 2017, on the Midday Mixtape Show on WNUR, 89.3 FM, Northwestern University's community radio station. I played short excerpts from roughly half of the episodes that I've done so far, and we talked about them, about the podcast in general, and also a little bit about the series that I've been running for my actual job, along with WNUR DJs Brock Stussy and Leo Galbraith-Paul. Thanks, Lou, for having me on the show. Thanks, Brock and Leo, for introducing us. And thanks to you, listener, for letting this count as a podcast episode, thereby buying me more time to keep editing down the Hamid Drake episode, which you'll hear a preview of near the end of this interview. It's going to be real good and quite possibly real long. You can find the Now Is podcast in the iTunes store. Perhaps you already have. You can also stream it at nowis.org, N-O-W hyphen I-S dot org, where you'll find information about all the musicians who Lou and I listen to, as well as all the tracks that they were listening to. Okay, me and Lou Berkman on WNUR.
All right, we are back. Uh, you are listening to the Midday Mixtape Show on 89.3 WNUR, Chicago's sound experiment. And uh, we're here in Evanston, on the Evanston campus. It's a little bit cool and rainy today, but not too bad. Uh, those of you who listen to me on a regular basis and those who don't, uh, generally speaking, I play all kinds of different music. Uh, today's going to be slightly different, though. We are going to, I have a guest in the studio with me. And uh, I will be introducing him shortly. Uh, and no, I'm going to just introduce him right now. What the heck, right? But let me tell you, that was, no, what I need to do is tell you that that was Mike Reed from his brand new CD called Flesh and Bone. And that was a tune called Voyagers. And on that with Mike Reed, who is a drummer, which we'll be talking, who we will be talking about in a little bit, is Greg Ward on alto sax, Tim Haldeman on tenor sax, Jason Ropke on bass, Ben Lamar Gay on cornet, Jason Stein on bass clarinet, and Marvin Tate on words, although Marvin Tate is not on that particular cut. And remember some of those names, because we're going to be talking about them very, very shortly, and hearing from those artists actually uh, themselves. They're not here in the studio with me. However, we do have uh, Ben Remsen here in the studio. How you doing, Ben? Just say hi real quick. Hello. Oh, you're sounding good. Okay. Ben, <laughs> Thanks, ben, man. Ben is the adult services librarian at the Evanston Public Library here in Evanston and coordinator of the Birdhouse Jazz Concert Series at the library, which is in association with WNUR. This series was influenced by the work of longtime Chicago tenor giant Fred Anderson, who for a short time ran a club called the Birdhouse and later was the proprietor of the long-running Velvet Lounge, which had two different locations on the south side uh one got closed down because he uh they they put up a big high rise on that spot and then he moved to a brand new uh space maybe some of you have had were able to get there were you ever ever able to get there ben no i didn't live here yet. oh that's too bad uh ben is a local music fan particularly improvisational new music and creator and curator of the now is podcast which is part of the now is website and he'll be talking about that in some detail, which has been in existence for uh, about four years and is the labor of love of Tushar Samant. Is that how you pronounce his name? That is, although I think it's about 10 years old. 10 years, Four years me. is how long I've lived in Chicago. Ben's been here four years. <laughs> ben has played guitar and trombone in his high school jazz band. Maybe you can talk <laughs> about that later. We'll see. And, <laughs> or maybe you don't want to. I don't know. And has played some bass on occasion. Do you still play bass? I do. Oh, on good. Occasion. On occasion. Uh, today, um, today we are going to be playing ep excerpts, that's easy for me to say, from uh, his podcast. He's done a number of uh, interviews with local musicians, mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason I invited him on today. We're going to be playing excerpts from some of these interviews. They're fairly extensive interviews, uh, running probably about an hour or so, right, Ben? Yep. And uh, we're not going to be playing each one individually, but we do have uh, several of them. Uh, let's just talk about the Now Is uh, podcast uh, um, for a while. What What's the URL on that in case people want to uh, uh, sure. it's, uh, tune in? Well, there's two. There's um, Really, you'd go to, uh, am, am I good for volume? You're yeah. perfect. Amazing. Um, <laughs> now, uh, now is, uh, org. so it's N-O-W hyphen I-S dot org okay uh, which is Tushar the website that Tushar runs that's a, a listings site so it's just uh, all the uh, shows that are, are nearly all of the shows where sort of 
the people that we're going to be listening to right. might be plausibly playing. Basically, it's okay. that with nothing else and um, no ads or pictures or really much right. of anything. It's just kind of a wall of text. So he's just basically listing. Uh, yeah, I mean, as I, I kind of think of it as the shows Tushar would go to if he okay. could go to. If every, he could go to, if he go to multiple show every night, you know, right. but nothing else. So anyway, so th- so that's. Uh, invaluable resource in, in its own more, more so even than uh, even more so than my podcast I would okay say. but then at the top of it there's a link that will say you know episode number whatever Ben Remsen talks to whoever and you click on that and that takes you and it's also available in like the iTunes podcast store and stuff oh, like okay. that that's cool and what, what was your motivation for doing this uh, what what got you started um, yeah, I don't know. Boredom. I don't know. Um, oh, I, I doubt that. You don't <laughs> seem like a, the bored kind of guy. Uh, yeah. Um, that's funny. Uh, no, there's, I mean, there's a bunch of different ways I could describe it. Um, I mean, there were a few sources of inspiration for other, um, examples of, um, musician interviews that I, okay. I mean, um, one of them was a few years ago. I finally got around to, um, watching the, um, thrill jockey, uh, DVD. So the great Chicago label thrill jockey records, right. um, at their, I, I think it was for their 10 year anniversary, but I could okay. have that wrong yeah. at some point in the mid two thousands put together, uh, and released a DVD of short interviews with musicians that are specifically, uh, the prompt, although it's never really made explicit in, it's just a, all the interviews are strung together. The prompt appears to be, uh, tell us about a pivotal early musical experience. And then everyone, uh, does that differently. And I really enjoyed watching that, um, after having moved here because several of the people are people I had, um, I had met, um, even sort of quasi befriended, whatever, you know, I just knew. And, and it was like, I just really enjoyed that as a document. And immediately after watching that, uh, just a couple of years, uh, three years ago, I thought, oh, it'd be cool if somebody was doing something like this. And so there's that part. Then there's um, uh, the uh, New York-based uh, 5049 podcast that a guy named uh, Jeremiah Zimmerman, clarinet player in New York, okay. uh, yeah. does, which is also a series of these sort of, you know, ter- if fresh air with like, weird experimental musicians who also still have to have day jobs you know it's like kind of like why not you know these people are interesting so uh so that those were some sources of inspiration um and that's so i so there was just an element of like oh it would be great if i could just so you know i guess i went through a few weeks or a few months of thinking about that chatting with people being like man somebody should do that in chicago there's so many amazing musicians Uh, to which the obvious retort is like why don't you do it you know And, and i thought like well you know who am I? Why do I have a right to do this? Had you already had uh, a relationship with the Now Is website? Or uh, um, how, how did you get hooked up with them as a place to deposit these interviews? Yeah. Um, no, I didn't really have a particular relationship. I had chatted with okay. Tushar uh, plenty of times. Um, and I had... Um, yeah, I just... I You know, I had the idea to do this. I mm-hmm. thought it would be... It, it would be like, you know, the charming contemporary thing about uh uh podcasting and why this is obviously a massively proliferating medium in the last few years is that you can you know it's free exactly you don't have to do you know you have to have the hardware obviously and the time but you don't have to um it doesn't require any any payment you know you can sign up at various levels of i mean server space stuff like that of course but um i didn't i don't know i was kind of reluctant to think i would do this thing that's just totally you know purely amateur in in both the good and bad sense of it and that i just throw it on some random website make up a name for it and just hope people took me seriously whereas i 
talked to Tushar about this, and he said that, lo and behold, for years he's been thinking about putting more content on the site. He just doesn't, it doesn't exist, and he doesn't have time to make it. So, okay. so, so he said, oh, you do, you do that, and he'll, he does all the back end. So I just send him an MP3 of the completed episode and the text for uh, what we're listening to, and then he does all the... Uh, web developy stuff, which is a, a nice motivation, and it also gives it grants it in my head a certain air of authority because uh, people who are into this music are often very familiar with that website. It's just a way people would un- discover um, the podcast, so that's why I hooked up with him. So let's talk about your interest. Uh, the kinds of mus- musicians that you interview. Can you describe what you know? How you would characterize them to the listeners out there? I mean, I, I kind of characterize them as improvisational or sure, creative. They're sure. not exactly jazz musicians, although a lot of people would think that some of the music that they play is certainly jazz. Yeah. Um, well, what, what's your opinion on, on yeah, that? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of ways to answer that. I mean, it, actually, a thing that I really love about um, this scene... Um, Here in Chicago. In Chicago yeah. is how much of it actually would resemble jazz or could be called jazz exactly in, i mean i i lived in philly before spent a decent amount of time in new york or you know sometime mm-hmm. in new york and and and, and i um you know not to 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 be sort of overly general i i do think that um at least i'll say for philly there was more of a sense of like either you're playing like far out experimental right. music or you're doing a jazz gig and there's a much there's a very strong sense here among a lot of the musicians we're going to listen to excerpts of uh, of them talking, uh, that they do something which is very much forward-looking, their own vision, but still, you know, swings, still has changes, still does mm-hmm. some, potentially even a lot of them have done um, uh, tribute projects or covers or, you know, however standards, whatever right. you want to call it, um, right. uh, in a way that makes what they're doing really, like, plausibly within the sort of jazz umbrella. That said, there's obviously a much larger debate about the term jazz, or, you know, and that a lot of which centers in Chicago around, like, the AACM right. and the innovation of the term creative music as a way right. of sort of um, taking... Um, that, ha- that, uh, that all actually plugs into a lot of interesting um, things around uh, race and the way that, you know, uh, certain musicians were pigeonholed as being jazz and therefore haven't. And that's a whole larger thing we can talk uh, oh, about. Oh, yeah. No, it, it's very interesting. Maybe we shouldn't get into it now. But, yeah, yeah there was a, a, a years ago there was a very distinct divide between the, the black musicians mm-hmm. who primarily came from the Association for the Ransom of Creative Musicians, AACM, the Art Ensemble, Anthony mm-hmm. Braxton, all those folks that we all know and love. And then, uh, you know, a, a younger, more white set of musicians grew up around Ken Vandermark mm-hmm. and, Chica- and a group that loosely was called the Chicago Improvisers, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, but they now seem to overlap quite a bit. And a lot of them, as, as uh, we'll get to talk to later, I mean, they sort of met and created fellowship at the uh, Velvet Lounge. At the Velvet Lounge, yeah, that, that's my day. understanding. And like a lot of, uh, you know, that seems to live on. And, you know, if you go to Constellation. Constellation, uh, yeah. One of know, our favorite clubs, right, right? Right, and, you know, Mike has a nice, a huge portrait of Fred Anderson over the bar there, which right. is, you know, really bespeaks to that, what you just said. Uh, but I, I kind of evaded your question, I guess, a little bit. I mean, it's an interesting thing when sometimes I'm in a random conversation with like <laughs> a, you know, an 
relative or random, somebody who doesn't know me very doesn't, well. Yeah, yeah right. and or so, or maybe know the the scene itself. Yeah, yeah, so or continue, yeah, any, yeah. yeah any, any, anything. I mean, if you played them like late Coltrane, they'd be like, "This is the craziest contemporary stuff," even though it's like a hundred uh, fifty years old. Exactly. Um, but um, yeah, so I mean, I'll say that it's somewhere between jazz sort of i might just say experimental jazz because right. that's a little more of a you know sometimes you say free people think like oh it's you know they, they there's think, no structure at all or, right? or no they think it doesn't cost any money or something. oh you yeah know, like, <laughs> you never know people sometimes this is true whatever too. yeah so uh yeah i'll say just you know um experimentally playing with sound or something right i don't know i don't know yeah this is a complex subject and and uh, we probably don't have time to go into it in too much depth today, but it'll it'll keep no. coming up in the conversations sure. that we play. And correct? if anybody could be influenced by this, I recommend reading the George Lewis book, A Power Absolutely. Stronger Than Itself. So yeah, it's it's a thick tome to be sure, but it's certainly worthwhile read about the formation of the AACM and the philosophical underpinnings of the entire movement. Um, who was the first person you actually interviewed for this? Uh, yeah, I interviewed uh, Fred Lomberg Holm, okay. who uh, is a, a great cello player, and composer, and uh, yeah, leader of groups and accompanist and many other groups, um, who I, in some sense, think of as a, a saint for having done it, um, mm-hmm. because I had this weird idea, and I figured, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to ask some people who I think of as being famous. You know, like in this yeah, in this right. narrow in and this, is, in this particular world, he's like right. a little bit. I was like, all right, I'll shoot. You know, I'm like, I'll ask Fred because I've chatted with Fred a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. He's very friendly. He's very chatty. I know he's he, he's a talker. You know, that'll be good. He's got stories, and I, I asked him to do it, and he, oh, I, I guess, sort of to my surprise, said yes. It was into it. Um, I went over to his house on a, um, a July or it was early July. I think it was. I want to say it was July 3rd, because mm-hmm. I think it was the day before July 4th, whatever. Early July um, 2015, and we just hung out for a couple hours, listened to a lot of music, and talked about it. And um, I feel I didn't include an excerpt from that here, right. which partly because that episode is kind of like, I didn't really have the concept totally down mm-hmm. yet in ways we could discuss after we kind of listened to some and talked okay. about the concept. But uh, it was uh, it was still, I still think that's a great one, because Fred has so many great stories. He, you know, he's somebody who studied very well a lot with Braxton he's mm-hmm. studied a lot with Morton Feldman he's just oh like goodness, got yeah. like a really very background so a lot to say so that one's worth listening to even though I don't really quite have any idea what I'm doing at the time I got it down a little I, I little think we should also mention that you also use as, as your a model the uh, blindfold test yeah, from yeah. Uh, Downbeat magazine those of you who are big jazz fans and have, and Downbeat's been a music jazz magazine for decades the last page is usually a an interview with somebody where the writer will play a piece and the uh, musician being interviewed will have to try and guess what it is and or comment about it and how it influenced them. And so you, you apparently use that model as well, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what we'll be hearing in some of these clips is a little bit of music in the background and the musician, and uh, Ben talking to the musician and getting their reaction and some interplay here so yeah yeah maybe we should actually play one so people can figure out what we're talking about here. sure sure and i could (laughs) i could uh give a little context for it if that's cool Uh, please do yeah um i mean the the concept lou's talking about is the i right so i play the music and and have them uh actually i don't tell them what it is so they have to guess what it is um 
uh, or if they don't know, they just have to comment it on it blind. Right. Um, I'm actually going to, the next one is going to break from that concept, but we'll, again, we'll talk about that in an hour or something. But, okay. um, um, but so I, I, I like doing that in part. I, I came up with that idea. I mean, I, you know, adapted that idea from Downbeat uh, because I think it's interesting to use to really focus uh, an interview with a musician around prompts of like, let's talk about music, like no mm-hmm. going into sort of like long winded s- background stories about your life. You know, sorry, I don't really care that much about your <laughs> life. You know, like, I mean, maybe I do, but you know, for friends, but, uh, but also there's sometimes a tendency in music interviews that I've um, uh, read and, you know, occasionally listened to, 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 um, hear the same story and actually even preparing right. for some of these musicians I've like gone on and you know read all the interviews that are online and I'm like oh that person just tells the same like two stories in every right. interview uh, and, and and there's just just a, a variety of other tactics for like intentional or not for just not really zeroing in on music and I think it's interesting to get people to really talk about influences to talk about how they listen and use that as a sort of jumping off point to talk about their thoughts about music. So um, the first one we're going to listen to is Josh Berman. Okay. Right. Uh, that's, we got queued up, right? Yep. We yep. got it queued up and ready to go. We- okay. So he's uh, a, a great uh, cornet player um, and, uh, you know, and everything else, composer, band leader, um, who, when I'm thinking, okay, I'm interviewing Josh Berman. Well, who, would I play for Josh Berman? Okay, Don Cherry, obviously Don Cherry. Don Cherry's, right. you know, a clear influence. You know, a, a, the you know a titan of, if not like the main titan of uh, early free jazz trumpet playing. Absolutely, leaving aside cornet trumpet distinction for the time being. Right. And but then I'm thinking there's a, you know, there's a million hours of Don Cherry recordings, and you know I have like whatever some large chunk of them, and can get the rest of them online. You know what what do I play? So the fun thing about this for me that we're going to hear in this first clip is doing what I like thinking of as my uh, uh, music homework. So I just like sat around, you know, whatever, doing dishes or whatever, just like listening to a ton of Don Cherry and trying to think like, well, what actually makes sense for Berman? And this clip we're going to play, there was a particular moment in it where I, I heard in a solo, I was like that, if I closed my eyes, I would just, if I heard that out of context, I would think that was Josh Berman. It just, the, the particular line mm-hmm. sounds like something he would play. So in this clip, I actually rewind a, a couple times and make him like, listen to it again. And I'm like, comment on, you know, like, what do you think about this? Was he familiar with this particular piece? Yeah. Although as you'll see, he doesn't get it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's an album that he said, you know, it's one of the three, um, the great, like mid to late, uh, 60s Blue Note albums that Don Cherry made right after he left playing with Ornette. Ornette yeah. And um, so it was, he wasn't, he didn't know it exactly what it was off the top of his head, but it was certainly something he had heard. Um, so you'll see, you'll, or you'll get to hear him, him making what I think is a kind of like really nice, very fine distinction uh, between the line and what he thinks he would do in a similar context. Uh, as well as I, I really enjoy this one moment where you can just hear him chuckling along to Don Cherry's playing, which uh, I think it's something special. Yeah, we're going to give this a listen in just a very quick second here. Uh, so this is Elephantance, Elephantasy, is that how it's pronounced? From Dive? We don't know. I'd say Elephantasy. Elephantasy, thank you. Oh, see, that's why you're here. Uh, this is <laughs> off a of record. <laughs> I, I got I, Whatever. Uh, early in my jazz um, education, Complete Communion, with Don Cherry on cornet, 
Uh, Gatto Barbieri, before he got so popular on tenor sax. Henry Grimes, who disappeared out of the jazz scene for a while. That's an interesting story we will not get to. And the great Ed Blackwell on drums. So we'll play this, and then we'll be back to talk about it for a couple minutes. So again, you're listening to the Midday Mixtape Show. Uh, We got uh, Ben Remsen here, and we're going to be playing some of his interviews. If you have any comments or corrections or concerns (laughs) or just want to say hi, give us a buzz at 847-866-WNUR, but please do it while we're playing the clips. And uh, enjoy this, because you're going to have to listen a little carefully at first until you get what's happening here. Uh, but you will be well rewarded by it. Which one? Complete communion. Complete communion. But right. yeah, the same, yeah, I think yeah, of those yeah. three as the same in my head. I was thinking of. I don't remember. Yeah, this. Yeah. It's been a very long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like, you know, it's like I love him so much that I spent yeah. like this ridiculous amount of time listening to him. Like. So much better. Um. Well, everything. First, <laughs> I mean. Uh, well, he's someone. It seems like he's like he's kind of like the primary text in a way of like this new way of thinking about the trumpet or the cornet or whatever it is. Okay. And I think he he's someone who kind of. I think knew what to do with freedom, which, you know, like, which is kind of an amazing thing. Like he was playing with, he was playing with, with guys who really were at the beginning of coming from only playing form Mm -hmm. and only playing, you know, a lot of, material that dealt with chord changes and uh, scale chord relationships and phrases and stuff and he knew how to do all of that and then somehow deconstructed I think in a very natural way his playing you know because if you listen to his early the earliest records of that stuff uh, yeah. of his work you can really hear like I mean he can put it all together and play the changes or whatever and yeah, then he yeah. somehow turned he turned like articulation and line into gesture somehow, and that's like that's a very difficult thing to do to like yeah, deconstruct yeah. one's playing and kind of change an emphasis on technique into an emphasis on sound. If I'm allowed, I might go back and yeah, get in, yeah, get in. Because there's there. a part with in his solo that reminded me particularly of the sort of phrasing that you yeah, do. Yeah, please. And I, I'm curious if you yeah, hear, let's talk about if it. you hear that. <laughs> What's interesting is for him, I think I kind of do that in a slightly different way, though. I think he's kind of like, it sounds like up top he's pushing into a gesture. Okay. But I feel like I sometimes think I'm waiting. You know, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and he's like, I think it's all part of the same line for him. I think that's like why he's kind of 
that's a more that feels more primary text. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Sure, that, sure, no, sure. I'm serious. That almost feels like a better idea to like why why should it be like here here stop here like he's like the whole thing is one line. It's just mm-hmm. really really like you know it's well, just it's got, like, there's know. spaces in it. I mean, yeah, there's, there's the space. In. Yeah, but I think that that's that's what I'm saying when you know he knew what to do with freedom. He's not a saxophone player, and he's not a virtuoso virtuoso trumpet player so what's the thing to do you figure out smaller motions really dramatic mm-hmm. pauses and mm-hmm. putting things you know and figuring out where things should go and then kind of doing more with a little less you yeah, know yeah, what yeah. I mean sure, and it's sure, not sure. you know what I mean obviously that's a that's a cliche if there ever was one but I think he really he really understood what to do with it we're back yeah we are back and uh I hope you guys enjoy enjoyed that um Talk, talk a little bit about what you were accomplishing there, if you could, and what you, what you, yeah, how, uh, do, how do you, how do you react to something like that? Yeah, I mean, what I'm accomplishing there, yeah, uh, I mean, part of playing something for people is really not knowing what they're going to say, um, of course, but in that case, yeah, I mean, like I said before, I was, um, I, I kind of, had this idea that that was where Josh Berman gets this particular like unique kind of phrasing right um I mean not the only place he gets it but that, that's a sort of source of it which I mean to use the word he uses um so I thought it'd be interesting to hear what he'd have to say about it so then you get this distinction that you know almost doesn't even I'm not even sure I fully can hear it but I, it's interesting to hear him hear it between you know exactly which is so which is which is just something special to hear and something that couldn't be transcribed um to say nothing of uh you know something that certainly can't be described which is just the act of hearing somebody delight in this sort of creative phrase so like that like what i said that laughing along part is so is so nice i mean there's sort of a vision um or a from, to the extent that people on the outside of this type of music have any vision of it, it might be that it's like, you know, extremely like harsh and unpersonable. Right. Um, and uh, something like, you know, 60s Don Cherry trumpet, well, any Don Cherry trumpet playing is filled with like delight and love. You can kind of hear that. And you, to Absolutely. Hear, to hear um, Josh listening along to it and just like chuckling and being pleased by it is very nice. And then you will also get, of course, I'm skipping over the first part, which is just the sort of, grand thesis on it which is uh just finding how somebody who works in the wake of don cherry would characterize the move that he made and whatever exactly berman said like moving um turning articulation and line to to gesture i think that's the quote which is a nice idea yeah it's really a beautiful thing It, it and also for people you know you're a musician uh, you know, to whatever greater or lesser extent you yeah. feel you are, <laughs> those of us who are not musicians think, oh my gosh, John Don Cherry was like a fantastic trumpet player. And oh, yeah, hear, yeah. To hear Josh Berman say, well, he wasn't really that great a trumpet player. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a backstory to that, too. I mean, I mean, as Josh Berman will tell you any time, I mean, he started playing trumpet when he was like 20 and uh, something like that. And Who did? Josh Berman did. Oh, he did. And okay. he dove straight into the free stuff. I mean, the first, right. he told me this, I think it's in the interview, maybe he's just said this to me before, like his um, first few years, like all the, any performances he was doing were just like, I, as I understand, like, you know, weirdo noise stuff. And um, he then, you know, took lessons and studied and got, you know, he's, he's a good trumpet player, but he's not, or a cornet player. Right. But I mean, he's not somebody who, 
you know, he's, it is, it's in contrast, like with Don Cherry, it's in contrast to somebody like Freddie Hubbard, who's just right. like, can like burn for a million years right. through really changes. And so I think that it's interesting that Josh as somebody who is, uh, has an incredibly unique voice, but is not, uh, you know, a virtuoso, not a virtuoso, right. at, at the very least to, to say not a virtuoso, virtuoso trumpet player, see what he would identify uh, which that I didn't see coming too, because I don't think of Don Cherry as not be. You know, I just I, I don't I, know. he certainly was good enough for Ornette Coleman. Yeah. <laughs> well, people would accuse Ornette of not being able to play. Too, well, that's you know. true. You got a point there, and yeah. some people still don't enjoy his music. So Plenty what of people can do. You say? Uh, yeah, so uh, that was very interesting. Um, any other comments, or should we move on to the next uh, clip here? I'm happy to keep rolling. All right, uh, the next the next person is Jamie Branch. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about Jamie. Uh, sure, Jamie. Uh, uh, lived in Chicago uh, for a long time. Is from uh, this area, the North Shore, actually. Also, so just okay. a little local character. Um, Maybe somebody knows her. Yeah, uh, yeah, just sure. Listening. Um, and uh, she lives in New York now, um, but comes back here a lot. She's actually playing tonight at Elastic and tomorrow at the Hideout. Um, mm. And I'd like to say I'll be at both. Of I'll definitely be at least one. <laughs> so look for Ben there. Yeah, you look for me there. Look, l- listen Unfortunately, for I have to work, but other than that. Listen for this voice. Uh, but uh, <laughs> anyway, she's um, actually also a trumpet player. Again, leaving okay. behind the cornet trumpet distinction. That is just a coincidence. I wasn't trying to stack all the trumpet players at the beginning. Um, but she's uh, got an extremely interesting, uh, yeah, I think an interesting voice and uh, a new record that just came out on the great uh, Chicago label International Anthem. Okay. Uh, relatively new label with a lot of really good stuff on it. I recommend checking them out. Um, Anyway, uh, I play, this is me playing her uh, Roy Eldridge uh, tune. Um, I can't even think of the name. You have the. Uh, it's After You're Gone. There you go. Yeah. Um, and I, this was one where I really didn't know what I was going to get from her, uh, mm-hmm. what she was going to say. And she says some interesting stuff. Um, I think if I remember correctly, the clip starts with her, Claire, me having asked her what she means by having called Roy Eldridge the Dirty Dizzy Gillespie. <laughs> okay. Actually, uh, Roy is uh, precedes Dizzy, so well, that, that's an interesting take on that as well. And th- this uh, particular uh, tune, uh, particular cut that you played her is actually a big band arrangement, Roy Eldridge and his orchestra, with a full trumpet section, trombones, sax, etc. Uh, so it's quite different than probably what Jamie actually does in her Mm-hmm. musical mm-hmm. career mm-hmm. but right? you'll see there's some interesting connections that i could uh describe but maybe we should talk about them after yeah we'll we'll play this and uh again if you just are tuning in this is the midday mixtape show we're here with ben remson who is uh from the um what's the name of your pod now is podcast he interviews musicians and gets some interesting kinds of reactions from them so we're going to play a little clip from uh jamie branch listening to roy eldridge so stay tuned for that but uh but uh but uh but uh but uh i say that eldridge is the dirty gillespie because like he uses a whole bunch more uh articulate like gillespie was super clean growlies growlies oh <laughs> so yeah. with something like that i mean what that last thing he did, that sounds like Lester Bowie. That sounds like some like extended technique from yeah, like 2001 like... or something. You know, yeah. It sounds like. Totally. So, um, would you like to speculate broadly on the, the 
historicization of jazz as... Well, I mean, the funny thing about jazz is that it keeps being killed. Like, like James P. Johnson and, like, what's it called, Ragtime was killed by the big band, you know, and then the big bands were killed by, like, the black big bands, and then the, the big band, those big bands were killed by bebop, you know, right. and then, like, bebop was killed by the cool era, and then, like, like that, that modal jazz was killed by a fusion you know it's right, like right, and then right. free jazz killed everybody so yeah yeah well um, in although S- it ran concurrently with some of the stuff i just said the roy eldridge could play all the, all that stuff because it was still harmonically like that har- harmony was being pushed forward and he was certainly playing like uh changes you know um that was the time of like shredding changes you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um but in such a forward pushing way you know and using all all the stuff he could put into it, you know, like that. But also, like, the ends of those, some of those phrases are just, like, instead of being, like, it's, like, you know? Yeah. That's beautiful. And that's, yeah, that's the cool stuff. That's the runaway train. Right, and because you can sense back. that he could totally land that if he wanted to, it's all the more powerful that he like. Maybe he could. Maybe he couldn't. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's the way he dealt with the fact that he couldn't, which is more interesting to me than somebody who can. Okay. Perfectly. I mean, I'm sure he can like nine out of ten times, but maybe in that instance he couldn't. Sure. You know, he can't always stick the landing. <laughs> right. And sometimes it's better when you don't. At least that's what I tell myself. <laughs> <laughs> And, and again, uh, Ben, that was interesting. Her commenting that Roy Eldridge, the great Roy Eldridge, uh, you know, yeah. those of us who have been listening to jazz for a long time, we think of him as the, one of the great, one of the greats in the yeah. pantheon of jazz yeah. uh, trumpet players. That maybe he wasn't that good. Well, <laughs> sure. I mean, but I mean, even then, she's talking about like an incredibly these incredibly dense lines of you know right. second notes or whatever. It's not like She's saying, oh, he's actually not that good and he's just compensating for it. I mean, I, I guess exactly. that, that's sort of like a that's sort of an overreading of it. It's more like that I, I, my interpretation of it is doing doing these incredibly complex runs with these like complicated changes. You know, sometimes it's what you know, you can't always stick to landing. It's, like it's exactly. coming down, but actually that it might be again, I'm just quoting Jamie. It might be better not to. And so that's particularly interesting to me, an excerpt like that. Um, because it's sort of one breaking down sort of the wall between like, you know, whatever it is, uh, you know, pre early sixties, jazzy jazz and post that, you know, new thing revolution or whatever that you want to call it, like free jazz in saying like, you know, where do these, uh, ideas come from? Like, and, and I love that in that clip, she's going like growlies, growlies. (laughs) You know, right, like, cause right, he's just exactly. like commenting on these like little phrases that he's using and sort of like piecing together what might be the motivations or just sort of the circumstances that lead a trumpet player to make these kind of decisions. It's not just like, okay, now the era of shredding changes is over and now I will do capital E experimental music. It's just right. like these music led one thing led. Well, ex- exactly. I mean, you know, here, here, Roy Eldridge was taking a tune after you've gone, which is a which is a standard, correct? Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it's just a regular old song that was, you know, floating around the music community, and he and the one thing that 
I mean, this is obvious to you and I. <laughs> uh, you know, jazz is the art of improvisation. It means making stuff up on site. You're not doing the same thing necessarily each time you're playing it. So you're taking a chance. You're going without a net, <laughs> you know, right. and 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 you're. It's possible to make mistakes and find in those mistakes something incredibly interesting and challenging to the listener and maybe a little disconcerting to the listener as well, you know. That's why some people simply do not like jazz and other people simply really dislike uh, free jazz and or experimental jazz because it's just too far out of their their realm of experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's that's why I, I just think something like that. Or, or a lot of these, uh, a lot of these podcast interviews, is, you know, getting someone to just sort of, de- it's like it feels to me like it's demystifying, exactly, this to say like, oh yeah, you know that that's cool, I like that line that goes, Ugh! you know, like you don't have it doesn't have to be just like some, uh, uh, some massive mystery that you bow down before, um, you know, it's like it would be like being in a the temporary wing of a museum and having some somebody looking at some really. Uh, you know, I don't know what yeah, abstract. Let's say abstraction. abstract. I, I yeah. want to say abstract, but then yeah, that no. seems like that's fifty years old, sixty years old. Abstract expressionism, whatever. Well, but there's a lot of people who still, still dislike. Yeah, so looking at it and saying, "Hey, yeah. that paint there looks really nice. The way it sits there, I think it's pretty." You know, it's like right. it's suddenly kind of demystifying it from this kind of like uh, very precious um, uh, object up on a pedestal or something like that. Right. Um, or in the case of like really experimental music, maybe it's not on a pedestal, but it's like seen as being like way out over here where it doesn't uh, have any connection to something like a standard. Right. Um, and so when you hear, um, you know, Jamie highlighting that little phrase, I wish I could just like sample the one second right here where there's mm-hmm. a little break and, and Eldridge goes like, or something right. and it's like if you heard that totally out of context it would be like the most experimental composition you, or improvisation you exactly could it would be axel derner or something right um but but it's within the context of a, a basically a big band swing type right. uh situation yeah so yeah I, it's it's an interest it's an interesting conversation to have because yeah you know that's where uh, you know all of the all of the folks who are involved in experimental music they do have mentors which go all the way back yeah. you know duke ellington uh you know charles mingus was a big admirer of duke ellington as was thelonious monk etc so yeah you know they they have these antecedents all this music has antecedents in something long before without that so what can you say uh, quick shout out to jack hey jack thanks for listening Hope we're challenging you here just a bit. Uh, that's <laughs> hey my brother in law. Hey oh, cool. Um, let, let's just talk for a minute uh, since we still have people while we've got them hooked in. Uh, tell us a little bit about the bird, uh, the birdhouse um, series that you're doing with WNUR. Sure. Over, uh, over so at the that's, library. Um, that's a uh, uh, put, I take off my podcast hat and put on my uh, job that actually pays me a salary hat. Um, I work at the Evanston Public Library. Um, I uh, started um, setting up shows, or I set up a jazz show there with uh, Mike Reed, um, who we'll be listening to shortly, um, and whose music started out this episode. Um, He grew up in Evanston. 
And so there was a sort of fun connection to do, uh, you know, local boy makes good um, mm-hmm. kind of, or right. <laughs> local boy does, is successful. <laughs> um, so we had him uh, put together a band and, and perform, um, and it was up against game four of the Cubs in the World Series. And Ooh. I thought, disaster, too bad. We planned this months ago. I was, I, I was, I was real annoyed. Uh, I thought <laughs> it was going to be a total failure. And then we had 140 people in a room that can fit about 130 people, right. um, despite the Cubs game. So I thought, okay. Well, the people want to come to this. Um, uh, of the people there were, uh, you weren't there, right? You were, I was not you at the not. first one. You were only one, no. the other ones yeah, this year. I've but, um, the other couple. But some, um, uh, Brock uh, and Leo of WNUR. Right. Um, shout out to them. Hey, um, Brock and Leo. <laughs> Good guys. <laughs> the great guys. Yeah. <laughs> delightful um and uh they uh we we got to talking uh there and afterwards and uh so we took uh the whole thing kind of steamrolled to use um and you are <laughs> uh programming and to host it at the library so uh that's the sort of um uh, making the sausage origin of the thing i don't know if right. that's what you wanted oh but, no that's what i wanted but um and so uh, we've Go ahead. Go. We've had two concerts so far under the brand brand name, uh, the Birdhouse, right? Um, and the bird that that name, as you mentioned, is a tribute to uh, the great Fred Anderson, who. Uh, uh, as I don't think you mentioned, actually spent a significant amount of time in Evanston. Yeah, he did live here for a number of years. Yeah, that's right. so there is that connection. Um, and then secondarily, uh, uh, the Evanston Public Library, through a just miracle of natural happenstance, uh, is the host of two peregrine falcons who nest. Did, oh, did you know this? Yeah, I think you mentioned it, but this is an interesting story. Continue. Yeah, they, so there's these two falcons uh, that uh, for... Well, there's a twist to this story, but uh, for for 13 years or something like that, um, have been nesting outside of the library, making uh, eggs kids, and yeah. kids, you know, as they do. Um, <laughs> and it's a it's a sort of um, uh, a, a delightful thing for the library because uh, it's just you know they could be at some any any building, but they they chose the public library. So we've got T-shirts that have the Falcons on them and stuff like that. So the, in that sense, the library is a birdhouse in a sort of loose sense. So when I found out that Fred Anderson's previous club uh, that didn't make it was called the birdhouse, that just seemed like sort of a nice, a nice connection. Uh, so we've had um, uh, a couple shows so far. We had uh, Jason Stein, who All I right. think we have queued up to listen to next, uh, possibly. Yes, we, uh, we're, we're going, well, okay. not next, Doesn't but matter. he's coming up. Doesn't yep. matter. Um, we had uh, Jason Stein uh, uh, with Kent Kessler and Hamid Drake um, in... February. That's right. Good and, show. Yeah, and we've got, uh, if we make it to it, we've got a little clip of uh, the forthcoming Hamid Drake episode okay. that we could listen to. And um, then we had uh, Greg Ward, Nick Mazzarella, Matt Eulery, and Quinn Kirshner uh, play there uh, a month ago. Right. A few weeks ago. And um, and then we've got on um, a, a slightly different one on June 3rd uh, coming up. We've got uh, a Kenya, who is a ja- uh, jazz trained uh, mm-hmm. musician who went to New England Conservatory and has got a ton of jazz training and meanwhile is working in slightly more of like a R&B um, kind of setting um, okay. and she's going to do uh, latest I heard is she's going to do quote a jazz set which I'm really intrigued by what that is I've seen her play once before and she's really fantastic um, with a group on June 3rd at uh, the main branch of the or the main library of the Evanston Public Library, seventeen oh three Orrington. Beautiful uh, building, by the way. Beautiful building, <laughs> definitely uh, one of my favorite places here in downtown Evanston. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I'm very lucky to be working there. 
hey. <laughs> Maybe uh, not luck, I don't know. Oh, yeah, well, that's a whole other story. I don't know. <laughs> talk about my we won't talk about that today. Yeah. Uh, okay, so, yeah, so, folks, if you're out there on the North Shore or even in Chicago, uh, keep a lookout for that. It's a very fun series. It's totally free. Totally free, and it's in the afternoon, Free. so you don't have to drag yourself to a club to see these folks. And every uh, the two shows I saw, everybody was excellent, and they were thrilled to be there. It's a little yeah. bit of an older crowd, but um, don't let that stop you. It had <laughs> young people, old people, kids were there. It little was kids, yeah. Little totally. kids, it was very, very cool. It's a good way to expose small children to this kind of music. Yeah. And Turn uh, your kids on to the... <laughs> Absolutely. The terror of free jazz early. No, there it's not that free. <laughs> it's Don't worry. it's, it's yeah. free, not free as in beer, free not as in freedom. Right. All right, let's move along and play the next clip here. The next one is one of my favorite musicians, uh, Dave Rempus. Oh yeah. Uh, he's he's a Chicago mainstay and has his own record label, which I've played stuff off of his record label on occasion. Uh, and you're he's listening to uh, a European gentleman who's very, very famous. Tell, tell us a little bit about Peter Brosman. Uh, sure. Brotsman, uh, pardon me. About Brotsman. Uh, uh, Peter Brotsman is uh, the probably as significant as anybody in the history of European free music or whatever, jazz, whatever you want to call it. Um, he, uh, I, I don't know what background should I be. I mean, he, uh, yeah, it's free. It's certainly free yeah, and it's very of, experimental. I, I mean, he's, say. well, well, it's in, what's relevant to this clip is he's kind of, um, central to the can as, as central as anybody to the canon of what somebody who's a little bit, but not a lot familiar with this genre might think of as just mm -hmm. like blistering free jazz, just like full on. I mean, he has an album called machine gun, which was kind of defining of this sound of just like a lot of people playing a lot of notes loud mm -hmm. all at the same time you know that kind of thing so that's not to say that it's not extremely artistic i mean i love that album and love that kind of music and love when i get to hear it in fact when i've he heard versions of it uh played by dave rempus uh or you know contemporary adaptations of this sort of thing right. uh meanwhile uh what's interesting about this clip is i played him i played rempus a solo um Brutzman piece and he immediately um well, there's I guess, two things. One is he immediately, uh, or, or he ended up wanting to talk about the ways in which it's not uh, the stereotype of Bratzman as just the kind of, uh, you know, full-on blower, uh, mm -hmm. that it's actually, uh, it, it draws out his interest in playing ballads. Um, so that's in contrast to sort of the, the simplistic stereotype of Bratzman. Um, and the one other thing I'll just say in advance of this is that, you know, remind listeners that I did not tell uh, Dave, that this was Peter Rutzman. And what's kind of interesting is he jumps right in and immediately, I would say even hysterically, is totally confident what it is, uh, which is interesting to me because I would have expected that there are a few people it could have been. But this is, I'm, right. I'm getting ahead of myself. We should yeah. listen to the clip. All right. And so uh, it's, uh, it's a piece played uh, 14 love poems plus 10 more dedicated to Kenneth Patchen, the famous 20th century poet. And yeah, let's see what Dave Rempus has to say about this. <laughs> Gee, I wonder who that is. <laughs> so really, there's only one person I can be. I mean, no, but I just recognize the sound, so, you know. Yeah. No, that's cool. I'd like you to be able to articulate that if you can, because if I heard that 
first thing specifically, I'd be like, oh, it's somebody yeah. who plays. I mean, like, Peter likes to open generally, I would say, with okay. just like a total in your face blast. Right. You know. I guess I got to know him more after we stopped drinking, which was like around 99 or something like that. Okay. I did. And, I mean, you know, he has his reputation as like enfant terrible of, you know, 70s and 80s, just like fulls charging, whatever. But in the time I've known him, man, he's always had this like amazing interest and ability in, in playing what what I would call basically a ballad, you know? I mean, he does these amazingly tender, raw, beautiful, soft, almost like Gene Amonsy sounding things that are like, uh, kind of go against the idea that, you know, he's just a screamer or something. And I mean, yeah, he can certainly scream more than probably anybody. Um, he and Mots, I think, can compete for that and do, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I I think a lot of his music is actually really incredibly tender, you know. Right. I would say, I would say, I would say, I would say that Brotsman is like seems like you'd read about him as like the father of a style. I think of you as being a part of uh, is often described with adjectives that are like, you know, ass kicking and like balls out and like in this sort of like macho. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. adjectives yeah. and I wonder if you see that as being a, um, a good use of that of metaphor or as a sort of distortion of what something that, something that's abstract and highly personal um, you know I think that's an easy thing for people to latch on to because it's so visceral people love loud and, and I mean I do too I like to play loud I love the energy that pours into that and like the physical feeling of doing that like I love it but there's a lot of other dimensions, I think, to certainly to Peter's playing, I hope to my own playing, to, you know, to any musician. I mean, there's an entire world of expression that's possible. And, and I feel like Peter, who often gets summed up as just an energy guy who blows his brains out, it's like, no, he plays this incredibly wide range of expression. Yeah. And it's easy for people to latch on to that because, like, that's the first thing they notice. It's the biggest, brightest, loudest, you know, it's just like, and as you said, he likes to lead with it. Yeah, sure. Yeah, and kind of knock you in the face right from the start. Yeah. You know. Um, Although even then, you're using the metaphor, so I'm pointing out that even when he's playing, when he's screaming, when yeah. he, you know, and screaming is less of a metaphor because the playing sounds like a human scream potentially, but knock you—he's not knocking you in the face. He's making sound with an instrument. You know, like he's not. Yeah, but I think it can feel pretty visceral, actually. Like the experience right. of having that sound literally hit your body you know is is a visceral thing in the way that some things are not i guess I, i'm just saying like the meta i guess i'm saying the metaphors yeah. that are used suggest like i'm also guilty of the same thing is what you're saying <laughs> what, what do you mean uh of you know chalking him up to this like macho thing oh yeah i mean i'm not i'm not necessarily saying it's yeah you are i'm saying you are doing it i'm not yeah. saying you're necessarily guilty because it may be perfectly fine but the metaphors are ones of like men punching each other or something, you know, like that sort of thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is yeah, not yeah. bad. It's a yeah. person playing an instrument and he is playing loud. And so in the sense, but it's not like, 
I don't know. That still is one step, you know. And and as you point out, it, it it doesn't encompass everything he does. But even potentially when he is doing something really aggressive, it doesn't yeah. have to be aggressive in the sense of a slap in the face or something like that. Sure. I, I mean, I mean, perhaps that's just an easy metaphor, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you think of your do you think of that distinction that balance between like slap smacking you in the face versus um, drawing out something more nuanced uh, or even yeah like we were saying before like um, theatrical or sort of like staged is that something that you're thinking when you play like no I like I mean as far as being a musician I mean that's never something I think like I'm going to smack everybody in the face right now (laughs) I mean that's not ever a metaphor I would use to like describe an intent or something on stage right Um, but yet you just did for his playing yeah true I mean maybe yeah perhaps it's different as a listener I guess yeah Jeez, you're making me realize things about myself. Um, <laughs> I think that's the goal. <laughs> you are listening to 89.3 WNUR, uh, Chicago Evanston, Chicago Sound Experiment uh, from the campus of Northwestern University. And today you are listening to the Midday Mixtape Show with, uh, shall I say, DJ Louis B? No, today I'm Lou Berkman. What the heck? Uh, uh, and I have in the studio with me uh, Ben Remsen, who has conducted these interviews that we are listening to. And that was a particularly interesting interview to me because I am a, uh, I'm a big Dave Rempis fan. I just really love his, uh, the, the whole series of CDs that he's put out. And the fact that he, is, he continually uses the word visceral. Mm-hmm. Uh, to talk about his playing and the and the kind of music that you know is associated with free jazz or experimental jazz, I would agree with that. It is a, certainly a visceral kind of music. I have said for years to people who are not into it, the best way to understand it and to uh, come to appreciate it more is to actually go see it. Sure. So you can actually see what the people are doing, that they're not just screwing around. Uh, and to feel the real power of it, uh, so I, that was very that was an interesting interview to me. Yeah, well, my my opinion on that thing is pretty clear because I just it, that's one was me talking as much as him probably. What do you, right. what was interesting to you, and what do you think about my, that? Well, um, the the fact that also he was saying how actually tender uh, Peter Bratzman is. I mean, mm-hmm. that would not be the first thing that most people would consider when they yeah. when they listen to him, particularly in person or on record. And it isn't something you know. Uh, you can't consider Dave Rempis necessarily all that tender either, but there mm. is a, there's certainly an, a, a highly intellectual, uh, you know, component to what he does. Sure, sure, and yeah, and Dave's definitely a, an incredible technician. I mean, unbelievable all um, his years with Vandermark and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's just when you know I hear him play. Um, you know, he'll he'll get into some like you know these incredibly dense deep lines that have. Uh, just a, that are in extraordinarily loud. I mean, he's just right. like a very loud player. He is very loud. Um, and but there, you know, if you like listen to it, and don't just. I mean, this is part of the reason I was trying to draw that distinction out. I did in that clip or sort of challenge the thing rather. Right. Um, is because if there's one way to listen to to, D- for example, Dave Rempis or or Peter Brutzman, uh but I've seen Dave Rempis a lot more, so I'll say that. Um, right. uh, hear him playing very loud and playing these very dense kind of uh, flurries of notes, and to hear that is just like, you know, a certain type of like 
you know, sonic violence. And, you know, especially if you come to um, this sort of music through some more extreme, you know, noise music or something, you think like, yeah, cool, sonic violence, yeah, you know. Right, and, yeah. And, but then there's something, um, I mean, I hear, just again, stick with the one example, and certainly in, in, in Dave's playing, that where I, you know, there's just incredibly complex, there's complex harmonic stuff going on, and there's mm-hmm. a lot of movement that's, that is, isn't, that's actually, you know, it's, it's presented a certain type of way, it has a certain effect on the listener because of volume, that's one of the, one of the inputs is, the, is, is the volume, for sure, uh, and that is particularly unique, the way it sounds coming out of a saxophone, for sure, but it, it you know, I think that to just treat it like it's just you know, balls out, ass kicking and whatever, like I said, is, is I think to kind of diminish it to, to a certain extent. Absolutely. And for him to say up front to you, it, he's not trying to smack you in the face. Yeah. That would not be most people's impression as to what he was trying to do. People would think otherwise. Uh, Potentially. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's only part of his technique, I would yeah. guess. And part of, I thought in that clip also part of the, um, the sort of, like the purpose, the very the very purpose of the podcast is there when he says, uh, uh, "Gee, perhaps it's different as a listener." <laughs> so like, right, yeah, right. Exactly. I want to know. So, what is it like for you as a musician who whose whose identity is, in a lot of people's eyes might be as um, you know? I, I want to say a disciple of Peter Brutzman, and I don't mean that in a in a neg- in a diminishing way at all. I mean, no, I just right. mean somebody who you know followed on this tradition in, in this in particular his way. Yeah. Uh, um, it's interesting to hear that he actually, uh, when he's, even as he hears Brutzman and, and, and attributes this viscerality to him, um, not incorrectly, I'm just saying, but, but sort of focuses mm-hmm. on that as a, metaf- right. as a guiding metaphor that then when, when asked if he does, thinks of himself as smacking the audience in the face, he's just like, no, of course not. <laughs> of course not. Not. <laughs> I would never do that. You know? I, I think it's interesting at this juncture to point out that there is a very close relationship between the, uh, the Chicago Im- improvisational community and the European one. Uh, there is a festival each year where the Europeans get together with the Chicagoans and they, they do sets. Uh, sometimes they're at the library, sometimes they're at Elastic. I don't know, maybe they'll have them at Constellation. Mm. So there's a, there's a very close bond between people like Peter Bratzman and, and his whole crowd mm-hmm. of Europeans and the Chicago the Chicago folks and and if people can get out and see some of those shows when when they are honestly I can't remember when it is if it's in the if it's in the summer maybe when mm. they've done those when they've done those concerts uh, it's it's worth your while you know here's people who don't see each other all that often yet uh, they have so much in common have a huge connection yeah and and the and and it's hard to imagine that the Chicago musicians they are so very well known, better better known in Europe in many cases than they are even here. Probably yeah. where you can see them on any any given weekend if yeah. you're lucky. Yeah, yeah. Dave Rumpus is definitely the sort of guy that y- you can see a lot when he's in town. Um, and uh, I should uh, we should also give a plug. You mentioned Elastic for Elastic Arts. Definitely. At, uh, I don't. I should know the address. <laughs> Milwaukee and uh, diversity. Diversity in above, Milwaukee. Yeah. yeah, above the Family Dollar, literally. Yeah. Uh, but that that um, Dave and uh, Paul G. Lorenzo, um, both both of whom incidentally are Northwestern grads. Just oh, interesting. Another, Thank another, you. Another okay. local plug. And you plug, yeah. Um, uh, and uh, but they. Uh, help uh but they both are involved in running elastic which has um music m- most nights of the week um and i 
highly recommend everyone go. That's where Jamie Branch is playing tonight. We do. Okay. Uh, let's move it along here because one of the things about doing a show like this is you get to learn about people you don't necessarily know that well. Right uh, the, the next person that we're going to play a clip from is Olivia Black. Tell us a little bit about that, about her. Sure. This is one of the most... Um, the, this is one of the least, the least jazz, or easily the least jazz of anything I've, uh, uh, I, I've done here. Um, I, Olivia is, um, uh, I don't know, I wonder what the actual compound noun she would use, but I want to say a, 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 a uh, well, composer, for sure. Okay. Um, an electroacoustic composer of um, sort of full, fully realized uh, sonic environments that <laughs> I don't know that I, I that's that's the way okay. I, I would describe it to somebody neutrally I'm not sure I can't remember what she said, has on her website um, but she makes um, these very co- complex sort of um, music concrete influenced uh, yeah pieces um, that would, would you consider her more uh uh, contemporary classical, modern classical in her... I mean, yeah, that would make sense to, okay. from like a radio programming format oh, or course. something like that. I do the I, classical and yeah, beyond yeah, show I mean, too, so like, we make know. these distinctions, but they're becoming close. I'm astounded at how these these two kinds of music are becoming more and more closely aligned. Sure, sure, which is potentially cool. It is. Um, anyway, she. Um, one of the nice things for me about the uh, podcast, as I've said, is doing music homework and um it's actually it's it's great i feel like in the last two years since i started doing this i've um you know grown in leaps and bounds in my own personal listening so for example preparing for olivia i was thinking okay well so there's these classics of uh music concrete or whatever this Mm -hmm. sort of competition most of which i have sort of like a wikipedia level knowledge of i mean and not and like the first paragraph not like the whole article (laughs) you know so i'm like which is better than many people sure well i don't know if it's morally superior but it's more yeah (laughs) and uh and so i uh no judgments yeah um i could probably be doing something better with my time but uh uh but so luke ferrari is one of these uh names that i knew from that i i had probably heard a little bit of it uh, of his music before, but this was, um, in preparing, I, I, um, ended up getting turned on to this, uh, one piece, uh, Presque Rien, uh, which is a multi-part, uh, piece. I think it's right. four albums worth. Um, but this is, I believe, number four. That's what it is. Yes, it is yes. number four. So, um, so it was not something I knew particularly well, uh, at all, but I got very interested in, and even li- because it's, as you'll hear, a very, a pretty, um, extreme example of you know i mean it's the kind of thing that a, a casual listener might think that's not even music that's just like a right, weird just audio recording right. noise uh so i was particularly interested to hear if somebody who has obviously extremely worked out thoughts about this would listen to it and what does and olivia is a composer excuse my ignorance yeah, here yeah she yeah, is okay definitely. uh let's give her a listen and then we'll uh we'll talk a little bit more about it if you have any comments or, or uh comments or corrections or anything, uh, give us a buzz while we're playing music at 847-866-WNUR. It could be Luke Ferrari. It could be um, Lionel Marchetti. But it sounds like, it's interesting because it sounds less concrete than those things. Like, What do you mean by that? Well, because the field recordings are running longer than they would be if it was like, I mean, my idea of like what, for instance, Luke Ferrari is, like his stuff is like chopped up a lot more or Lionel Marchetti. Um, but I hear French and, and I hear... French. 
<laughs> Who is it? I'm curious. It's Luke Ferrari. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay, yeah. which which record? Uh, it is called. Uh, it's one of the Press Grand. Oh, Press Grand. Number four. That's a classic. Yeah, it's um, it's a beautiful. Um, it's a beautiful record. Like, uh, it's funny how I I don't. I've heard I have this record and I didn't recognize this as being Press Grand, but um, this is always something that I would play for students and things. It's just a, a like the way that he. What are you hoping for them to hear? I just like that the the way that he uses language first of all, like the the, the way that he uses depth of field. Like you can um, really get a sense of uh, space when you listen to him, both in terms of like the stereo field, but also in terms of like things moving back and and towards a speaker, which is really interesting. I think that you don't usually get that, so I, I feel like. There are times when things are just right on the surface of the speaker, like now, like even just the way that he's like positioning mics mm -hmm. uh, to take a recording. Um, I get the sense that he is really aware that there might be something going on in the background while he's like maybe miking something right in the foreground. So I find that it's totally cinematic and mm -hmm. it's very, it's, it's kind of like, um, and it's a good thing to play for people because it, yeah, and then he does stuff like that, which is just like totally, you know, like he'll, he'll put these little implants in that are just completely electronic, and it's yeah. just like. Did what? What function do you think that sort of <clears throat> thing serves? Like to draw out the artifice of it, or something? Um, I think that yeah, I think that there's that. I think it's just absurd and kind of humorous. I I feel like uh, Ferrari was had a lot of humor in his work. You know, like he was he was. I feel like there's like playfulness and humor. Um, and I feel like it's a it's a way to yeah to gradually lead the listener out of like the the natural sort of um, the field recording content of the language and into this weird it has it has a similar um, like those sounds that that he just brought in those those electronic sounds have similar kind of cadences as the language does but they're obviously not the language maybe they were at one point like they start they originated as language but he just you know. Uh, manipulated them a lot. It's still to me it's very much related to like cinema and the way like sound is used in cinema because um, there's a, another French composer Michel Chion who writes about sound in cinema a lot and he talks about all these different kinds like sort of categorizes listening types and so I think that um, what Ferrari does really well is he is leading the listener into different types of listening like he's he's at first it's like this um diegetic thing where you're listening for like what's what is that like i'm trying to figure out like who's talking is that a per like where is this person where is the it's almost like ethnographic in a way like you're trying to get a sense of your surroundings and then when he inserts these weird electronic sounds then all of a sudden you you're shifted into this different kind of listening where you're listening for texture for music or something other than like language so it's just kind of an interesting cognitive shift do you think that because you make music that in some ways resembles this that you're more attuned than the average person when walking down the street or whatever or just being in any kind of sonic environment to like what if you know is this music should i make this into music or? yeah yeah definitely i mean i feel like um it's not really a question of like being somewhere and asking myself like like if it's music or not it's sort of more like um 
I mean, if you probably, whoever's listening to this right now can hear the there's like bugs in the background here, which I That's think right, is, which they might assume right. is part of the Ferrari piece. That's a good point. Yeah, not, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, to, so that's really great. Let listener beware, there's a lot of cicadas outside. It's <laughs> currently August in Chicago. I mean that, but think about how much that's going to inform whoever's listening to this. That's going to tell them so much and give them so much information that they wouldn't have had otherwise. It's going to give them like... You know that that's that's much more interesting. It makes this interview much richer, in my opinion. So it's I, I just you know it's just more about noticing things, really. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah, it does sound exact. It just sounds like it's part of the piece. <laughs> <laughs> you just talk yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still happening. All right, and well, that was an example of uh, something slightly different which was good different is good a lot of people think you know concrete music is not music at all right and that's why i thought it would be kind of uh and i do think it was really nice to have somebody who's extremely familiar with this has done an enormous amount of thought and is about it and Mm -hmm. has in fact created stuff uh, again in its wake if not the same um to sort of walk through and just focus on some ways that you could listen to it something like that which it's not totally apparent what is the point of it at all? Like what, right. is, what is the function of it in any way? Because it's not offering up a melody for you to hum, you know, <laughs> exactly. it, to say the least. Yeah. So it, it's nice to hear her sort of unpacking, which I, I mean, I don't have much to add to it. I mean, I thought that was really nice. And I, I agree. Let's let's move along because yeah. we're, we're not running out of time, but we're getting there. And sure. I want to get through some of these other clips sure. here. The Mike uh, Reed one's about 80 seconds long, too. So yeah. We'll Mike Reed, that. again, one of our favorite musicians, yours and mine, I'm sure. We played him at the top of the show. Yeah. And uh, the, the piece which, Ben, you've played for him is a classic. It's from uh, the album Blowing In from Chicago from 1957 with Clifford Jordan and John Gilmore. And it's got John Gilmore on uh, tenor, Clifford Jordan on tenor, uh, Horace Silver, the great um, hard bop piano player, Curly Russell on bass, and, and Art Blakey, who was always there bringing up the rear on drums. <laughs> and, you know, considering the fact that Mike Reed is very much of a, you know, in a new music person, when you hear him, he sounds relatively mainstream at some points compared mm. to some of these folks. Um, but he can be pretty far out. He's also a fantastic drummer. Anything you want to say about this uh, about this particular interview? Well, we just got a short clip here. It's a short clip, and it's fairly self-explanatory when you get to it. So maybe I'll just talk ahead of it rather than after it. So. Uh, one nice thing about playing these things for people is I really, you know, I don't know what they're going to say, as I've said right. before. And I usually come in with a certain agenda or sort of area of discussion this to sort of bring up if need be. But often these completely unexpected things come up. And actually, the Jason Stein one right after this will be another good example. Um, but so this is it had ne- not even begun to occur to me that this one um, uh, bar or four bars, I guess, of. Uh, th- are a, a mistake. And oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> and okay. that there's a there's a there's a mistake. There's there as as as, as we Mike said is going to yeah. describe. Yeah. Um, I should I'll, I'll mention that he uses a curse word, which I edited out. So oh, thank you very much. If you hear a funny backwards sound, that's me having uh, edited the curse word. So that's well, not the, the uh, FCC will appreciate that a great deal. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's let's listen to it. Okay. You know and yeah. Here, I love that. That's a nice. Wait, can I go back? Can we hear it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's basically 
they haven't decided that they're going to start trading, so half the band is in when the break comes, and half the band hasn't relinquished it to Art Blakey, because, you know, um, yeah, it's like, so, and he doesn't, so he doesn't get a nice entry point, here it comes, here's the trade. You know, right there, it's like, whoa, dead space. And then he kind of... That oh, was where I... the other tenor was supposed to come in? Oh, no, okay. that's where the drum break, because here, here. So we're going to start trading some fours, right? Okay. And uh, fours. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like they sort of flubbed it, you know? And... That's great. That's cool. Is that, is that your original insight of that? There, is that like everybody knows that? No, I mean, you can, they're all over these records because they're just, you know, they're like, well, the rest of the take is strong, so let's just go with it. People are making mistakes all over these records, these really amazing records. Of course, they, people want things to be done well, maybe as close to being detailed out and make it work, but obviously even the best don't do that. They make their mistakes, and I think that can be very relieving then when people are trying to learn and, yeah, how to play. You know, there's mistakes. You make them. Well, you always will. <laughs> Well, that's very powerful. Yeah, powerful statement on Mike's part. Yeah, and nice to nice to see something that's a mistake and find it is inspiring rather than absolutely, <laughs> you absolutely. Know, right? You know, and as we mentioned earlier in the show, I mean that's part of what makes the dynamic of jazz so important. Is people are flying without a net, and it's like yeah, they just take what comes and keep going. They don't stop just because they've made a mistake. They turn it into something beautiful. Sure, and even and also for recording, you know, this was not, this is in a studio, this is for a, for a label, you know, uh, Prestige, I think. I think um, you're right. And, it, it, but, but the fact that he, like he said is, oh, that the rest of the take is strong. One of the points is they're all playing hard. They're really right. doing it. And they're, you know, they could do a million more takes till they got one that technically didn't have a single error in it but maybe the solo wouldn't have that extra pizzazz or whatever it right. is that sort of way he's getting which is really nice yeah prestige was a little uh, looser about these things than blue note and stuff as i understand sure. they really didn't care they did a take and they said okay that's good enough for okay well going. maybe that's what it was <laughs> i'm, I'm <laughs> trying to see it in a positive way i don't know i don't know uh, I, I don't know there's, there, there's there's a there's a Thelonious monk uh, record i have with a very out of tune piano but mm. Mm. So that actually does dovetail nicely into the next one. Okay. I can sort of mention a thing, not just because that's the next one is Jason Stein, right? That's what we have queued up? That is what we have. Okay. Um, not just because the opening music was a, a piece of uh, Mike's new album, which has Jason on it, but also because it's another example of something that I had no, I didn't anticipate in any way um, in terms of the, the content of the conversation. So I, this is me playing... Um, uh, an album called Sticks and Stones, or by a group called that was called Sticks and Stones, which was a collective trio um, that made a couple records of uh, by uh, it was Matna Roberts, Josh Abrams, and Chad Taylor, um, uh, all of whom lived in Chicago, I guess, at the time. Jo- mm-hmm. Josh is the only one who still does, um, and who plays like you know eight nights a week. In Chicago. I was going to say and Josh is always playing somewhere always playing and always excellent um right one of my actually one of my deep favorite chicago musicians absolutely um someday josh abrams i'm gonna have you on the podcast <laughs> yeah come on <laughs> but in josh. anyway we'll have uh, you on this radio show there, if you want well, we'll see anyway um uh, but the <laughs> point is i so this is an album that i picked somewhat randomly because i actually just really really like it i've been okay. listening to it for 10 years or whatever at the time uh and really caring about it and i was just curious i i, I don't remember what exactly my logic was but it had never 
really fully dawned on me until this moment that you're about to hear that how unique it is that they're playing so quietly. Okay. And so uh, I could say more, but why don't we listen to Jason yeah. Stein say more? Jason Stein. And the, the beauty of, of, the, of the soft saxophone yes. is so, so deep. Such a different sound and way of dealing with instruments. Yeah, it's really, really great. That doesn't come up that often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In, in, in playing, but, but that is a, that's such a technical thing. Like really nice, just like pianissimo sound. Yeah, yeah. This is the first one where it's people you know. So much of the music, I feel like, just in general, not not as a Chicago thing, but. I think in general, it can feel like as a as a player, your job is to just like hit somebody over the head with like intensity. Yeah, yeah. And I and I think that's understandable given like the sort of just climate and environment of, of playing the music. And, and I I think in a lot of contexts that is like kind of the vibe. Yeah, yeah. From a listener standpoint too. Um, no, no. Yeah, like you go see Paul Nelson Love because you want him to like bash you with his Paul Nelson Loveness. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, for sure. And I mean that. I mean that is no, a, something no, I no. did recently. Man, Paul, <laughs> enjoyed all, it. <laughs> all, all three of those guys are, are are definitely examples of like, yeah, it's like it can feel like that's the expectation. It's funny actually with, with Mott's, and just kind of off off the topic of like this yeah, particular yeah. track. But I'm going to say Mats Gustafsson because that will not be included in the metadata and anyone listening. Oh yeah, might gotcha. not know. he's a person that that years ago, like when I was when I was first kind of getting into deal dealing with like more abstract like free improvisation. He 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 was somebody that I listened to a ton, like his solo records especially, and uh, and he like has so many different worlds of sound and things that he can do on the instrument that are really like just quiet just small like oh, right, kind right. Of lower casey yeah approach to playing instrument and uh and like with without band it's it's like the thing yeah yeah sorry yeah we, no i mean just yeah yeah no one listening knows where we both were like oh we can have to go uh it, it and there's really bands that are like this it's like it, it can be so much about intensity that sometimes as a listener I'm like, oh man, I, like I wish that that you would do this thing that I know I love. That's not necessarily about batting over the head with intensity, you know. Um, especially with him, especially yeah. with with stuff. So within, you're saying in Chicago, there's more of a vibe of people being willing to not do that, like something like this, where they're clearly like no. they have a very minimal concept, and it's not about bashing you over the head at all. No, this this stands out to me as, as something that I like. I've lived here for ten years. I've never heard music that sounds like this. That that is just like we're just. That's not true. I've never heard it. Like now, I'm sort of actually flooded with examples. But it's not. Like, <laughs> it's not like a. I don't know. It's not common. It, like it doesn't seem like it's an expression of like a largely shared aesthetic. You know? Right. Interesting. Yeah. So he was basically saying that Chicago is not an easygoing town. Is that what he was? Uh, well, he then immediately 
yeah. uh, doubts doubts himself. But yeah, he was saying that it's there's not seemingly that there's not as much interest in playing incredibly quietly, right. which. You know, I don't feel like I'm, I'm going to offer a broad survey and judge whether that's true. But it's it, it was interesting kind of like I, I didn't think that in picking that track that it was going to turn into a conversation about quiet versus loud and the kind of relative aesthetic choices like around that. But then that's where it went. which was That's fun. where it went. And so that's that's what makes all this interesting. <laughs> Again, I guess I should say one more time because this is radio and maybe people haven't been here for the last hour and a half. Where have uh, you been? <laughs> you missed a lot of good stuff, didn't they, Ben? Yeah. Uh, this is Ben Remsen, uh, who is pl- we are playing clips from his podcast uh, from the uh, Now Is website. He has been interviewing a number of different local and locally sort of sourced uh, musicians over the past four years, and you can hear them on your URL, which is, give the URL right now. Uh, now-is.org. Okay, and and you want to go to the podcast section of that, correct? Yeah, there's this little blue there's strip at the top. Okay, and you'll hear the full interviews. These are only partial interviews because uh, this is radio and we don't have time to be here for 10 hours. Uh, and how many interviews do you have? I don't think we actually got to that. No, I don't think we did. Uh, the one up currently is number 19. Oh, okay, um, you've been a busy guy. Yeah. I've got uh, the 20th one in the can. Okay, we're going to try and get to that. Uh, a little bit of that, even though it's not up yet, just as a... You know, a little bit of a kicker here. And uh, that was Jason Stein talking about uh, a piece that Ben picked out for him. And uh, Jason is a, uh, a rather intense uh, performer as well, right? I mean, he wouldn't you say? I, I mean, I would say he's I would certainly say he's a really he's, he's a great performer, great uh, yeah. instrumentalist. Got a lot of got a lot of really good projects going on. Right. Uh, although it also playing the bass clarinet, he can't be too loud. But well, that's true. You'd go, you'd get pretty honking if you did that, and yeah, it'd yeah, start yeah, yeah, flying yeah. out of your hands. Yeah. All right, we're going to move on to the next one because uh, Greg Ward, who's the next interviewee, was was the person who performed at uh, the library the last time around about a month ago. That's right. And you're playing an interesting piece for him because I wasn't all that familiar with Greg Ward before I saw him mm-hmm. uh, at your show. So it was a good thing for me to come to. He plays alto sax, which is a little unusual for most sax players in this day and age. Most of them are either tenor or soprano, wouldn't you say? Uh, I guess so. I I never thought to characterize it that way, but sure, why not? I don't know. That's just my opinion. And he plays alto, which was the uh, instrument of choice of Charlie Parker, Bird, of course, his nickname. And you played him some Bird. Uh, right. And you played him something even out, more out of the ordinary than that. You played him uh, Charlie Parker with some his quartet with an orchestra or with strings. Uh, and uh, this is a little bit towards the end of Charlie Parker's career. Uh, it's a tune called well, it's his it's his one of his standard tunes, Anthropology, uh, with Charlie Parker, Jack Holiday on piano, Franklin Skeet on bass, and the absolutely fantastic Max Roach on drums. And Greg, oh, I was going to say, Greg, I had wasn't that familiar with his work, and I was really quite astounded by how softly he plays. He does, yeah. I'm glad <laughs> yeah. you mentioned that. I've said I, this to him before. It's so interesting the way one of his moves is to play like music that would be seen as much more intense if it were like three, three or five notches higher. Like exactly. He's often a very soft player. Yeah. Which I think is a is an interesting 
way to challenge people. Absolutely. It, it challenges expectations. It challenged yeah. mine. He sounded an awful lot like Johnny Hodges to me. Who oh, yeah, was, sure. Of course, sure. you know, Duke Ellington's alto player. Yeah. A little bit like Paul Desmond, which was, you know, Brubeck's player. Man, Al- you're listing all the stuff I should have played him on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> well, you can ask him back. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Again, sure. uh, your choices are fine. But you did play him Charlie Parker, who is an alto player. Uh, anything you want to say about Greg before we listen to him? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, Greg's a Greg's a great player. I guess one thing, if anyone listening to this um, uh, is into going out to see music, I should point out that he runs um, a session. Well, I guess the background is he he, he got into this scene to a large extent, as he'll um, sort of allude to in this um, clip we're going to listen to um, by. Uh, going to the Velvet Lounge and becoming friends with Fred Anderson. um, And Fred um, hired him to run the jam session that happened every, uh, I believe it was Wednesday uh, for several years uh, in the early 2000s. So he was, there was, uh, by virtue of coordinating that, I guess he got really tight with a lot of different aspects of the Chicago scene. And he's got a lot to say. It's not in this clip, but a lot of interesting stuff to say about the the different sub scenes and the extent to which they overlap. uh, but then more recently, uh, or just a, a year ago, um, uh, Mike Reed having uh, taken over uh, or, uh, the Hungry Brain, which right, went right. out of business briefly, and then Mike brought back. Uh, Good for Mike. Yeah, and he, on Tuesdays, uh, has Greg runs the jam session. So there's there'll, oh. be, there'll be conventionally, Continuity. yeah, there'll be one set of him and often a totally top flight like you know trio or something like that uh, that you can see play one set and then they have those people playing with whoever's showed up with their with their acts and it's free every tuesday at the hunger brain so definitely i recommend checking that out and we are so fortunate in chicago that you can again access this kind of incredible music for free in a venue that's very friendly uh easy to get to gotta be 21 well, yeah, you do, I guess, <laughs> unless you come with your parents. There you go. Uh, <laughs> so, so that that that's relevant to this clip. He's going to kind of okay. talk about hanging out with Fred Anderson, listening. To oh, and that's this. always great because I got to hang out with Fred Anderson a little bit on occasion. So, um, we all miss Fred. Fred is was really quite beloved. So let's listen to uh, let's listen to Greg Ward and see what he has to say. I know this recording. Yeah. Yeah. Fred Anderson used to play this for me at the Velvet Lounge. That's what I heard from yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Dave Rempus, for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We had this great relationship where he would just... You and Fred Anderson. Yeah, yeah. He would call me and be like, hey, man, come by the club a little early, you know, like before the jam session I was running yeah. on, on Wednesdays. And, and this uh, is what year? Huh. This is... This is like 2002, okay. you know, and placing it. Yeah, yeah, and he would, he would just, you know, I want you to hear this, you know, and he'd be like, this is, it's radio performance, you know, and he'd put this on and just like, okay, sit down, all right, yeah. sit me at the bar, and we just listen to this man, and just at this point, I'd heard a lot of Charlie Parker, you know, but usually, you don't get to hear him stretch, you yeah. know, like there's a lot of courses on here, and that's. Yeah. Because, you know, they were trying to make these records. Everything's succinct, three minutes, you know, yeah. or less. And so to hear something like this, it blew my mind, especially the tempo, too, you know. Yeah. Bird played fast, but this is one of the, the fastest ones like he yeah. ever played. Just, it's just ferocious. Yeah. You know, man, it's, yeah. it's ferocious the whole way. Just not... Ferocious because he's playing so, so... Keeping so much content so fast and so... 
Yeah, I guess just be. It's all that language that is, you know, specifically Charlie Parker, but just like, it's like top form, you know, like, yeah. here it is. And yeah. it's not, there's no searching about it. It's just like, boom, yeah. here's my language. Yeah. I don't know. It's just like, this is, this is the source, you know, yeah. for me, yeah. this is the yeah. source of bebop and just the way he's playing like even at this tempo you know like yeah. it's easy to like as you know players today just to just to play like without any um variation or just eighth notes yeah. you know yeah and then but but even at this tempo it's just effortless right and there's so many different rhythms he's a drummer you know and one of the baddest drummers just like on the saxophone, you know, <laughs> you know, and that's to me that's super special. Like it's something that I strive to have in my playing the flexibility to to go anywhere at any time. You know, to be as aggressive and sweet and melodic and yeah. rhythmic all at the same time. You know, yeah. and it, and it's all here. You know, like just like no matter you know it's that it's 400 BPM. It's still, is that really what this is? Maybe I, I'm sure it's pretty close. You know? Yeah. Okay. Sure, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Fast. Yeah, and just but still, just to be like completely in control, and know where you are, and you know, and just, just uh, yeah. Oh man, so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So again, listening to someone laugh along like he does at the very end there is just a. I could. It's, it's a joy. <laughs> yeah, for people to listen to music, maybe something they've heard a lot of times. Certainly, yeah. Charlie Parker, not. An unknown musician, but people still love him. He's been gone 60 years, and he's uh, bird lives constantly in what all these folks do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I like also getting to draw in creating these, getting to draw the connections between these sort of different eras of of jazz that, I, I, uh, like I said before, some, there seems to be this artificial line that's drawn somewhere right. around 1964 or so where <laughs> you're like, okay, that's when people started, I mean, plus or minus, you know, started yeah. doing this other crazy stuff and then it becomes this completely different world. But I think in actuality, there's a lot of connection. And I mean, like you mentioned Johnny Hodges before, like, you know, the, right. I didn't play Hodges for... Um, for Greg, but I did for Dave Rempis, and he has some really superlative or effusive things to say about Johnny Hodges. Like, mm -hmm. I think he says something like, "You know, why would you, I listen to this?" And I'm, I think, like, why would anyone play the saxophone any other way? <laughs> and which is funny for a guy who, <laughs> who plays I, it very different, very yeah. differently. You know, yeah, but it's exactly. like it's like they, these are the, there is a continuity, um, a very strong continuity, and in fact, not even just a linear continuity, but in fact, a a, a, a deep connection that exactly. exists simultaneously when we we live here right now in 2017 listening to this music um that isn't just historical but that the, the music lives it lives indeed said. it does yeah this is this is also interesting ben i, I you know i, I cool. just before we get caught up in in saying goodbye in a few minutes we, we still got a couple more of these uh, i just want to thank you for coming in uh and being part of this show and playing these clips because it's been a, it is a tremendous amount of fun we're not done yet folks right. don't go away uh also thank you on behalf of wnur i'm not official in any capacity for for doing the shows yeah, well, at uh the now at the, podcast at the is the least official thing there is out there, so whatever. <laughs> yeah but 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 bringing this music to people on a on of a consistent and a basis uh like you do at the library that that's that's a great service to the the community right. here in evanston and the north shore 
where, you know, and, and again, uh, not to talk about the audience, the audience that comes to uh, the library is a little bit older than you will see at, at Constellation or at Hungry Brain, uh, but they dig it just as much as uh, anybody does, and sure. they are very, very appreciative of uh, the fact that you, you bring these folks in. And if you're a younger person, you're allowed to come too. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I got to <laughs> say about this. And, and yeah, yeah, again, yeah, yeah, nobody yeah. can see us. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the older DJs here, <laughs> and uh, I feel really young when I go to the... Uh, <laughs> How goofy is that? Yeah. Anyway, yeah, let's yeah. let's keep moving it along so we can play a couple more things here. Uh, the next one is uh, uh, cellist um, Tamika Reed, who's been a mainstay here in the in the Chicago music scene for quite a while. She's somewhat more associated with the AACM, I would say. Wouldn't, I would wouldn't, say so. Yeah, I believe you? she's. Um, but again, she's one of those people who was AACM you know associated but she does a lot of work with the uh chicago improvisers as absolutely, well absolutely yeah um yeah a couple things just about this i mean just sure. while we're while i'm trying to plug the scene um on friday uh tamika uh, is having a second year of uh, the chicago string summit which happened last year oh yeah <laughs> which is really amazing including uh, just worth noting she got uh, the great uh, cellist uh um, underappreciated cellist Abdul Wadud was there mm -hmm. when people got, which was was great because he's kind of in retirement. Anyway, this year uh, it's happening on Friday at Elastic, uh, so I recommend people check that out. Um, and then the one thing about I'll say about uh, this clip before we listen to it uh, is that I um, I've been I get help with my music homework from many people, um, including some of the people who've played on uh, or who've been on the podcast. And uh, I asked uh, Fred Lumbergholm, as a fellow cellist, what he thought I should play. And this was his recommendation, which was something I had never heard before. And in fact, it was never even commercially released. It was okay. a bit of a random thing. Uh, it's uh, the cellist is Tom Cora, who's the only musician I knew in advance on here. The other two players are uh, Roger Turner and Carlos Singaro, who I know nothing about. Yeah, I know uh, nothing about any of these. Other so than that's they cool. play yeah. drums and violin, respectively. Right. And it's a pretty... Uh, extreme uh, f set of uh, or a few minutes of, of free improvisation uh, that you know I was like okay I have no idea what Tamika is going to say about this if anything you know I might even you know every time I play something for I, I do one of these I cut at least mm -hmm. a couple things out you know and I really didn't know if this would go anywhere um, and what she says about it is actually I think really remarkable in terms of um, conveying a counterintuitive way of listening or counter a, a way of listening that's counter to the the stereotype again of this type of music as being um wow. yeah, harsh yeah. harsh okay yeah harsh. okay she yeah, calls harsh. it peaceful as you'll oh yeah. okay interesting so let's uh okay give it a here we go yeah. here's tamika reed and her her take on this piece of music i don't know maybe it's because i played in this setting or listened to it so much it doesn't sound <laughs> okay. I would never have thought that. What, what do you? Yeah, how do you? What do you mean? I don't know. I can just close my eyes and it's just like. Um, maybe peaceful's not the right word. Well, yeah, it's kind of calming to me. I don't know. Or it's like what sometimes what's happening in your mind and you're like hearing it orally, so you can kind of relax. Sure. Sure. <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. 
I guess that's what I mean by peaceful. It's like I close my eyes and it's like, kind of let this take over my thoughts a little bit. So this sounds like something you would be thinking, is that what you're saying? Yeah, you know how you have all this stuff in your brain? <laughs> okay, that, no, that makes sense. That's a, that's a different way to think about just like sort of scattered improvisation is like if it's... Yeah, I mean, when I'm listening to it, usually I try to like block out, you know, and I'm just like trying to be present. I think that's why actually I really like playing this type of music because it forces me to be really present right. in the moment in responding like how do I want to respond to what is around my environment right nothing is given yeah and not even it could be outside of the musical environment it could be someone's cell phone or a cop or how are you responding to that yeah how can you create this texture Wait, don't tell me, don't okay, tell me. Okay, okay, I was about to tell you. No, no, no. No, it's okay. I can give you one hint. No, 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 no. Not even a hint? Okay, not even a hint. Not Interesting. Even a hint. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, she makes a very good point about all this, is is you have to be present. Uh, her That was one of her comments I noticed, and that nothing is given, particularly when you're doing uh, something that is, like, totally improvisational. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and and it's an interesting thing when you see this kind of music, and that's why I always encourage people to see it, particularly. And if you see something that's totally improvisational, it's amazing how the musicians will be able to communicate with each other without even saying anything. Yeah, they know when to if people come in and when they when the piece out ultimately ends, even though there's no set ending. Right, it's a phenomenal yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, what were you gonna say? Oh, I was. I mean, what it's oh, so nice about what Tamika says there, I think, to me, is that she's. Um, countering again this sort of stereotype that this is really uh, or the vision of this as being heard as harsh or um, you know to say nothing of potentially ugly or whatever but and she finds it to be peaceful to be calming and in fact precisely its scattered nature is calming because it's sort of this like because the way as she she relates it to her thoughts in her head uh, I'm not going to just repeat what she said but um, um, but mostly I I, yeah I just think it's interesting to get musicians um, counterintuitive perspective especially um, on music that is seen as being uh, can be heard as as being uh, arcane or very hard to kind of mm-hmm. grip onto. And the last thing that we're going to listen to uh, is another good example of that. Um, so this is from um, my interview I did a few weeks ago with Hamid Drake. This uh, is hot off the presses and not yet available on the podcast. You heard it here first. <laughs> and we're really glad because Hamid is uh, one of my all-time favorite musicians. So yeah. being able to play this is a uh, is a tremendous honor for me. Yeah, yeah talk yeah, about yeah. it a little bit. So, I mean, there's so much to say about Hamid Drake and, I mean, of the people I've interviewed. He's also an Evanstonian. Also lives in Evanston. That's true. Um, grew up here and is, lives back here now. Um, there's so much to say about Hamid and, I mean, just to be really... Uh, crude about it I mean he's like the most famous person I've interviewed so like I feel almost like he needs less introduction because like if you like this music you already probably like Hamid Drake he's been doing this since the 70s um and he was he was actually a childhood well uh, Fred Anderson was older than he was but Mm -hmm. he was one of Fred's uh, mentor 
he was mentored by Fred Anderson. Yeah, no, they Fred, lived in the same building. Yeah, and they apparently and, had a very, very the, the story is incredible. And uh, I was lucky. I shouldn't say lucky. I was fortunate. Lucky is the wrong word to go to, to Fred's funeral. And the place was packed with all the musicians. And Hamid was there and, and what he had to say, as always. And he always talks about Fred. Mm. Uh, mm. He, he is... is course very was very fond of him mm. so anyway so, so the one thing about this clip um that's that i found to be uh the one thing i want to highlight sure um and actually it's worth it it jumps in a little bit quick and it's a little hard maybe to catch what hamid is saying right at the beginning so i play him uh, a milford graves tune uh, or piece right. which is um uh, milford graves percussion ensemble it's uh, a, another drummer named sonny morgan right not to be that's confused correct. with yeah. sonny murray yeah but uh, you know so it's sort of an extension of a Milford Graves solo piece, what Milford was doing in uh, the mid mid to late 60s. Um, it's I we had previously been talking, listening actually to an Ed Blackwell thing and talking about uh, the role of danciness and mm-hmm. dance in this music, which Hamid has a lot to say about, as you'll hear eventually when I get this episode <laughs> edited down. Um, and uh I started off talking about this Milford Graves piece by saying, hey, you know, like, so this is interesting how this is really not dancey. Um, and he said, the first thing he says is, well, it's not not dancey. Interesting. So that's, if we want to jump in with that, that's that first phrase that you okay. might, I thought that was nice. And uh, yeah. It's, it's a real honor to play Hamid because he is one of the greatest drummers in the world. Absolutely. So uh, let's listen to this and then we will probably be back to say goodbye after that. To me, it's not non dancey though, because you, when I listen to that, you know what I hear? I hear like a djembe player soloing up against the, the rhythm that's behind it. Mm. You know? you know? <laughs> sure. Well, yeah, that's, my, that's yeah. my question is what do you yeah. hear? What do you hear listening to this? But I'd like to say something first about Milford. Um, I think there's two drummers that opened up the, uh, the pathway of what we might call um, more open, sort of. <clears throat> playing of drums where you're not playing a designated like you know, meter all the time you know I mean Elvin was very open in his playing but it was always in the, you know, stuff you did with training and everything say Milford Graves and Sonny Murray you know but they're both very different yeah and um, Milford he opened up uh, Sonny did too a whole range of sonic quality to the drums, you know, and all these different alternate techniques that every so-called improviser or free drummer that's living today, whether they know it or not, have uh, taken from Milford. You know, it might not be direct, but seeing someone else has taken something from Milford, you know, on down the line. And, um, but the beautiful thing about Milford is that he, um, he's realized the, the whole world of percussive range, you know, he's very studious, and so, you know, he was checking out Indian music, African music, Cuban music, and the interesting thing also about him, his first instrument was not drum set, it was timbales, mm. you know, he started up playing Latin music, playing yeah. timbales, so you can still hear, you know, a lot of that in, in his playing, you know, and, um, and you said Milford Graves was doing experiments on Yeah, he's doing like with, with, uh, with the computer, he, he has ways to hook up these different things to the heart, you know, and listening to the 
because the EKG machine. Yeah, but normally there's only one rhythm that's heard. You know, usually. Yeah. But he's heard like each heart has several rhythms, and they're distinct from other different parts of the muscle. There's four vowels. Yeah, there's four vowels. So why wouldn't there be right? Different rhythms. Different rhythms. Different rhythms. Different rhythms. This information you can use to just create a lot of different things. I mean, yeah, we could use them as far as playing against them. We could use them for compositional ideas. Um, um, we can, you can even take one of those things and dissect it into different parts, you know. So I think it's just, um, it's a way of having more information to um, go deeper into the whole creative process, you know. Yeah, and when you, as a listener listening to this album right now, for example. See now he just you know he just started to play a different way now too. A different rhythm. A different yeah. way, more in a jazz sort of context, you know, like more like um, like uh, Kenny Clark or, or R. Blakey or something. Okay. You know, before he's doing all the sort of sort of you know, now he's like real more kind of quote unquote jazzy in a way. Right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. not really is there is there a one? Is there a like You can a find a one. There's always a one. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated. Yeah. Where's, the, where's the one here? Oh, okay. You wanna, I'll, the I'll, one is wherever you want to place it. Right. Well, okay. <laughs> I'll go back to it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just, yeah. I mean, if you want it, you don't have to, but if you want to come. Okay, so I can hear yeah, it off yeah, of that. Yeah, sure. You can hear it off of that. Or... And it's yeah. shifting, yeah. Yeah. and so it's not like it sticks. Because it's thing. language. Yeah. And language is always shifting. We don't talk like some people do. And most most of the people that talk, and it's really kind of flat, you mm-hmm. know, so they, they, after a while they get kind of hard to listen to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, or people who have that. to talk like that because yeah. their, it's their job right now is to give you a boring presentation. Right, exactly. They don't like yeah. it either. They don't like it either. No, yeah, no. but they just like, I'm just succinct. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 But it's like even languages like up and down and flowing and this going sideways, kitty corner, you know, it's like, um, you know, even the, the, the inflections of our speech, everything. Oh man, that's marvelous. Uh, Isn't that nice? <laughs> that's that's a great way to, to, to finish this whole, whole yeah. segment here, to have yeah, yeah. Hamid Drake explain how drumming works and what it's well, supposed to do. And where the one is. I mean, like, where the one is, he's, yeah. He's, uh, it's it's what, one of the things, just my last uh, sort of justification for this weird project of mine is that you could never capture that in a written interview is hearing the music and hearing him him find a one yeah doom, 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 and then drumming on the floor we were sitting on the floor the whole time right of course i'm hanging out, out with Hamid drake um and then drumming on the couch for the other version of a one and it's just oh a, something God. that you could never get any other way all right i'm afraid we're gonna have to stop here ben uh this has been ben remsen from the uh Evanston Public Library. He's going to have to go back to work, I'm afraid, but uh, it's going to be hard now. But his, his, the main reason we had him here it was because he has produced these wonderful, wonderful uh, interviews for the Now Is website and Now Is podcast. So go see that. Again, give the URL one more time before we go. N-O-W-I-S dot org. Yeah, check this out and look, look for... Uh, 
uh, Hamid Drake in the near future, right? How soon? Maybe a couple mm. weeks, maybe. <laughs> What's it, your schedule? It's no a schedule. Long, yeah, get, get get a producer to ride me and I'd get it done. Okay. Uh, well, you're doing I, it soon, yourself. Soon, soon, in a few, a few weeks. We, we got to turn this over to the rock show. So, uh, Ben, thanks a whole bunch. Uh, come on back and we'll play some regular music sometime, maybe this summer. Sounds great. All right. Thanks we really appreciate me. it. And uh, we're going to turn this over to the rock show. This has been the uh, Midday Mixtape Show with DJ Louis B., Lou Berkman. I'm here every other week. Uh, next week, I'll be here playing jazz at 7.30 in the morning. You want to come play jazz at 7.30 in the morning? Nope. Okay, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> I, I barely want to do it at 7.30 in the morning, but nobody else will do it, so I'm going to do it. So, uh, again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you uh, at the Midday Mixtape Show in two weeks. Here we go. Ready for the rock show? Yes. Okay. Hello. Um...